Bye, Shapa. Shedela Luis. Kapan berita PMM Mbak Epa Hae Terere. Terere Hae Petain Mbak E Paraguay Wa. Jai Uwanya Dein Werandi. Ikatu Hawaii Sayanya Mungkin Tamba Epa Hae Kuera Hei. Hamba Epa Hae Kuera Ojapo. Ejapo. Ojapo. Abei. Pengendura Mungkin Tiapu. What you just heard is Guarani, and the slurping? That's Terere, the ice-cold herby drink carried around in huge flasks and drank by many a Paraguayan every day. It's basically the most Paraguayan intro you could wish for to this episode. Welcome to Language Stories, a podcast discovering languages around the world and meeting the people who speak them. I'm Lindsay Williams from Lindsay Does Languages, a language-obsessed chica on the constant exploration of languages no matter where I am in the world. And this episode, welcome to Paraguay. Before we get into this, let me give you some background because this is a more personal episode of Language Stories than we're used to. In 2015, I was busy studying Spanish for the final year of my degree. There was one text in my course book that got me curious. It was about Guarani. I did some googling. I found a little course on Memrise and thought, wow, well that's a language I'll never speak. Honestly, I never really thought about it much more until it came time for my final dissertation. I wrote about Spanish around the world, in three places. The USA, where it lives alongside English, Catalonia, where it lives alongside Catalan, and Paraguay, where it lives alongside Guarani. But neither Guarani nor Paraguay nor Terere, for that matter, are commonly thought of, discussed, or even known about on a more global scale. Yet, the story deserves to be told. My curiosity with Guarani finally got satisfied in May 2017, when I started to learn the language ready for an upcoming visit to Paraguay, as part of the trip that became this season of language stories. From New York to Montreal, and Cuba to Panama, we always planned to end our American adventure in Paraguay, without really knowing much about what Paraguay had to offer, there's very little guidebook coverage of the country. Most coverage is only as part of regional multi-country guides. So, if Paraguay isn't worthy of its own guidebook, is it worth visiting? Thankfully, Romy Natalia Goldberg is on a mission to change this. My uh, father was a Peace Corps volunteer, and he went to Paraguay, he married my mother. Paraguay has, I think, the second largest Peace Corps program and one of wow. the longest running in the world. And then my father uh, joined the Foreign Service, and so I actually grew up all over Latin America, mm. but always going back to Paraguay. And so, you know, my mom had all these words. Well, my poor mom, she was trying to make sure I learned Spanish and English, and you know, Language, again, it's such a cultural thing that it's difficult to learn in a vacuum. So she taught me some Guarani, but she really wasn't able to teach me a lot. because She was focused on, you know, Spanish and all us moving all, all the time. But, you know, there are a lot of words that, that I now am like, oh, that's not Spanish. I came to the U.S. for college, and then I, I went back, back to Latin America. I went to Argentina, and then I, I went to Paraguay. And uh, like I said, when I was going to Paraguay, I discovered there was just no information about Paraguay available. Mm. Well, very little, you know. And so then I decided I wanted to write uh, a guidebook to Paraguay that would show the country, you know, how it is. And also in a way that was realistic, but also would want people to, would make people want to come to Paraguay. You know, because some of the stuff I would read, especially, you know, on the internet, in Paraguay, there's such a 
void of information. And so what ends up filling the void is just, you know, Nazis and drug trafficking. Mm -hmm. I mean, you're there. You see, that's mm -hmm. not what Paraguay is about. But there was just no information. And so I just wanted to put more information out there, you know. Yeah. So, so I started, while I was writing the book, I started a bilingual blog that's uh, Discovering Paraguay. And I would just write about Paraguay in English and Spanish, and then I would teach them what any words along the way. Maybe you're listening to Romy talk there and thinking, Nazis? What? Paraguay was among a number of South American countries to where former Nazi soldiers fled after the Second World War. Interestingly, there's actually small communities of German speakers now living and working in the country, mostly not Nazi descendants, I should add. So, Nazis? Not what Paraguay is about. And drug trafficking? Ugh. This is a huge Latin American stereotype, definitely demonstrated in its full glory if you type in any South American country name to the Netflix search bar. Narcos, Pablo Escobar, El Patron del Mal, El Chapo, Drug Lords. Jeez, how many shows can you scrape from the drug barrel? Again, not what Paraguay is about. So, what is Paraguay about? Paraguayans you know, they had this horrible war, the war of the Triple Alliance, where between 60 to 90 percent of the male population died, and, and about, I think, about 30 to 60 of the female population as well. Mm. So this is a country that was taken to the brink of, of, of you know, annihilation, basically. Like, mm. it just almost didn't exist. Here's what Paraguay is about. Strength and pride. The war of the Triple Alliance, or the Paraguayan War, is insane. Obviously, this is a podcast, so I have no visual aid to show you, but grab a map, a globe, or open up your phone and search for the country on your maps app. Okay, you with me? You'll notice Paraguay has some pretty big neighbours. Brazil, Argentina. Now, imagine those two massive countries, along with Uruguay, at war against relatively tiny Paraguay. I should add here that Paraguay actually started the war. In terms of soldier numbers, it's not too different. Around 174,000 for Brazil, Argentina and Uruguay, and 150,000 for Paraguay. The big difference, however, comes in casualties, and this war had plenty of them. So much so that it's often described as the bloodiest war in Latin American history. Brazil, Argentina and Uruguay lost 130,000 soldiers and civilians, whereas Paraguay lost around 300,000. Exact estimates of Paraguayan population loss on a national scale vary, sometimes wildly. However, it's generally agreed that the country lost at least half of the population and possibly up to 90% of the male population of military age. How does that affect a language? How does a language survive through losing nearly its entire population of speakers? Well, in the words of Beyonce, who run the world? No sé si has escuchado... Eh la frase de que el, el Paraguay fue reconstruido por mujeres, básicamente. Sí, sí. sí. I don't know if you've heard that Paraguay was rebuilt by women. Yeah, yeah. And do you know why? The War of the Triple Alliance? The Triple Alliance War, exactly. So you've got these three countries fighting against Paraguay, and Paraguay was basically destroyed. It was the women who rebuilt the country and passed on the language to their children, including back in colonial times, because when the Spanish arrived, Paraguay's situation was very different to other countries. The Spanish men got together with the indigenous women, so the children they bore spoke Guarani first as the language of their mothers. And then this repeated again after the War of the Triple Alliance. The mothers passed on their language, 
customs, values to their children. That's why Guarani is very strong. Then, in the following war, the Chaco War, Guarani also served as a strategic weapon because all communication in the war was in Guarani and the opponents didn't understand. They keep this up today and do the same with football too. Y hasta hoy todavía continúa eso, pero no en la guerra, sino que por ejemplo en el fútbol. The Paraguayan national football team are known for speaking Guarani when discussing tactics and gameplay on the pitch. Why? Because the other teams can't understand. That's Marcelo, by the way, my Paraguayan tutor who lives with his Chilean wife in Chile. We're speaking here after my trip to the country, and I'm not sure who missed Paraguay more. De verdad, no, no es... Um, yo no digo para que, para que parece que es más emocionante, porque es la verdad. Pero estoy claro. muy, muy, muy feliz, emocionada y creo que tengo Paraguay en mi corazón. ¿En serio? Me, sí, me, <risa> siente, me siento muy, muy cerca. Solo... Y me pone un poco melancólico porque yo estoy lejos de Paraguay oh, ahora. Sí. <risa> I told him how I feel like I have Paraguay in my heart. I feel really close to it. And he replied, you're making me a little sad because I'm far from Paraguay. The more I learned about Paraguay, the more excited I became to learn Guarani. Much like the minimal number of travel guides, however, for Paraguay, language resources outside of the country are pretty thin on the ground too. There's no teach yourself colloquial or Rosetta Stone for Guarani. So where do you begin? To my surprise and delight, I soon discovered that a Duolingo course taught through Spanish exists, as does a handful of memorized courses, an old set of Peace Corps PDFs, and, at the time I started Guarani, just one tutor on italki, Marcelo. He's been part of my own Guarani story since the beginning, but I wanted to know his story. What was learning the language like for him when he was young, and what's it like for a native Paraguayan to learn Guarani and Spanish? That's a very good question. Before that, I have to tell you a little background. I'm sure you know it, but throughout history, different governments have tried to suppress Guarani, to destroy it. So Guarani is really strong in the countryside. During my mother's childhood, it was the Strozner dictatorship when she was in school, and Guarani was forbidden at this time. And because her and her family were from the countryside, they only spoke Guarani. But when they went to school, they had to use Spanish. Guarani was forbidden. So they suffered a lot because they didn't know how to speak Spanish. Marcelo wasn't the only person we spoke to who mentioned this. It was, a, it was an oppressed uh, language from many, from many, for many years, uh, for many generations. It was forbidden to talk in Guarani. You know, for me, maybe it's not as personal, but to see my mom, really, who grew up being told not to speak Guarani, mm -hmm. who grew up uh, under an educational system that said that learning Guarani makes your tongue um, clumsy. Entonces, de, sí o sí. ¿De qué época mm -hmm. es? And when was this? I asked Marcelo. The last big dictatorship of Strozner was 1954 to 89. It lasted around 35 years. My mom was at school in the 70s. All children were forbidden from speaking Guarani at school. They had to speak Spanish. So when my mom grew up and had her own children, she wanted her children to speak Spanish well so they wouldn't have the same problems. So when you have children, obviously in the countryside, my first language is Guarani. But also my mum and dad started us with Spanish young, so we grew up speaking both well. We needed to learn Guarani well because everyone speaks it in the countryside. 
Even nowadays, I speak with my family in Guarani. It feels weird to speak Spanish to them. But all of that is thanks to the strength of my parents. They wanted us to speak Spanish well because it was really difficult for them during their childhood. So I learned Guarani and Spanish at home. Alfredo Stroessner took power in Paraguay in May 1954 through a coup d'etat when he decided he didn't agree with the guy previously in charge, Chavez. No, not that Chavez. Federico Chavez. This led to one of the longest rules in modern Latin American history until 35 years later, when in 1989, Karma came and bit him on the bum as his ex-BFF, Andres Rodriguez, ousted him in his own coup d'etat. Following that, he fled to Brazil, where he died aged 93 in 2006. At first, it seemed obvious to me, from what Marcelo, Romy and the Guaranglish team told me, that the Strozna era was not a good thing for Guarani. But then, I began to read stuff that didn't make sense. His wife was Guarani, he spoke Guarani, he rewarded rural Guarani speakers for their loyalty to him with land, but he never once made a single public address in the language. And although he added both Spanish and Guarani as official languages in the constitution, clearly, from what we've heard, education at the time didn't reflect this. It's not until after his rule ended in 1989 that things began to change. In 1992, the post-dictatorship constitution set about to put Guarani and Spanish on an equal footing, including Guarani being taught in schools and used in public institutions. That said, there's still a higher use of Spanish in urban areas and Guarani in rural ones. I asked Marcelo how different things could have been for him if he grew up in the city. ¿Cómo sería diferente? Mira, en la ciudad... In the city, there's more dominance of Spanish. Spanish is more the language for formal stuff, government, legal stuff. Everything like that is mostly in Spanish. So there's very few people who have always lived in the city and speak perfect Guarani. It's a much stronger influence of Spanish. So you could grow up in the city, have friends that speak Guarani, speak a little yourself. But when you go out to the countryside, you'd see that those people, they don't speak much Guarani. It's much more mixed. Exactly, more Jopara, much more mixed. Jopara is what every language learner wants to exist for the language they're learning. It's a mixture of Spanish and Guarani words. And as far as I can figure out from asking everyone and over a year of Guarani study at this point, there doesn't seem to be a right and a wrong here. It's a sliding scale. Think Spanglish or Franglais is a totally acceptable way to speak. Imagine that. You're learning the language, but when you don't know a word, just slip in the word in the other language. Whoop! Done! Jopara is what's taught on the Duolingo course for Guarani, which means that one of my key resources available to me at home sometimes contradicted the digitally dusty PDFs teaching a more traditional and formal form of the language. And the Duolingo course is currently only available through Spanish, so if you don't know Spanish, it's going to be quite the challenge. However, there is something else that is teaching Guarani through English and vice versa. Guaranglish. My name is Luis Rojas. I'm the co-founder of Guaranglish. Hello, I'm Marite Ramirez and I'm a volunteer of Guaranglish. Hey guys, my name is Osvaldo. I'm a collaborator with Guaranglish. I first came across Guaranglish on Twitter, I think, and I have to say I was delighted at what I found. An app teaching Guarani through English? I'm in! And not just because of my being born a millennial, it seems. Everyone loves Guaranglish. Um, most of us are we are we are young, uh, but we found response. <laughs> uh, 
uh, yeah, we found response in, in many like older people to adult people um, who they they were admiring the this this initiative. But even this millennial needs a break from her phone screen now and again. Uh, where English is not just an app, uh, it actually took many forms. Uh, we were trying to find out some ways to reach people. So one of the things, one of the methods were uh, these camps, these war English camps. They were bilingual camps, uh, just Warni or English. So all the kids were, I mean, we, we did it with Warni um, speakers and we did it also with English speakers that wanted to have the contact with Warni. So they were out of their comfort zones. They were trying to make the activities, all the dynamics, everything was bilingual. So they were learning at the same time that they were just having fun and playing. So they found this new way to uh, learn uh, a language. And we found really interesting and we thought that we, this could help to other teachers to uh, teach the languages that they wanted to teach. And we focused on teachers and boyharas, which is with me teacher in whatever. So we made these workshops for uh, these teachers to, um, yeah, to show them the methodology and how they can create some other stuff uh, if they meet, if they, uh, they get together to work and stuff like that. Because they are educators, they are the, the ones who can reach uh, the little kids, the little uh, future generations. I wondered how this fits with language education in general in Paraguay. Although we've heard from Marcelo that he learnt Guarani in Spanish at home, this isn't necessarily the case for everyone. So, how do teachers and school teach languages in Paraguay? From the first grade, Guarani is a language that's included in the national curriculum. English doesn't start until secondary school, but it's only three years of one hour a week. So, our intention is that the app will become a support of that. Teachers can come to the Guaranglish workshops and learn how the app works. Then they can introduce it to their students as a way to learn outside of the classroom. Speaking of the classroom, one thing I did during my time in Paraguay was go back to school. Having studied all I could on the other side of the world, I decided to take advantage of my time in Paraguay and take things further with a language course. I was pleasantly surprised to discover Iripa a language school in the capital, Asuncion, teaching both Spanish and Guarani. Here's me and my tutor, Cecilia, speaking a little in Guarani. I asked Cecilia about the approach to starting to teach Guarani for those that know nothing. And if you've had your curiosity spiked from this episode so far, then here's your lesson one. What does a teacher do to start teaching a language? For that, we have this, the alphabet. In Guarani, we have our own alphabet. We teach what are the vowels, how many vowels are there, and then we compare this with Spanish. That's what we do. And we look at the consonants, how do we pronounce them, how do we pronounce the nasals, because in Guarani, we have two pronunciations, one normal and one nasal. Nasals are really important. The majority of vocab we have in Guarani have nasals in. For example, baraka, guitar, baracaja, cat, and that mb, this is nasal. Honestly, the nasals are one of my favorite things about speaking Guarani. 
Even now, I still sometimes cup my hand beside my nose to hook forward to remind me when to pronounce a nasal. Many people coming to the school to learn Guarani are working religiously in the country. I'm learning because I love the nasals. Well, among other reasons, I guess. But I wondered what other reasons my tutor had encountered for students from other places coming to learn Guarani. Many want to learn about the culture, some want to stay longer. Many people come for at least a year and live. They like to learn Guarani to get around better because it's difficult to live in a bilingual country and speak only one of the languages. And because now you've had lesson one and you're basically ready to go, I asked Cecilia what she recommends for people who want to start learning Guarani. Come, we're waiting for you here. We'd love for you to come. What fascinates me most about Guarani is how it's an indigenous language that's been adopted and embraced by the entire population of a country and how it lives alongside Spanish in a way unlike any other language we've encountered making this season of language stories. And yes, it's had a tough past at times, the Spanish conquests, the Triple Alliance War, the Strozny years, but the present is good. So that only leaves one question. What about the future? I think that Guarani, the way I see it being used now is if somebody's going to start a band then immediately, oh, well, let's, instead of the reflexive of what would have been earlier, let's give it a foreign name, you know, let's call our band something in English or something like that, um, they give it a Guarani name or, you know, I'm going to start a new business. Well, I'm going to give it a Guarani name. And, and, you know, I'm teaching my children English and Spanish, and I was told by um, their preschool teacher that at a young age it's much more important uh, quality, or sorry, quantity is much more important than quality because they can fix it later, but right now they need to be given the message that it's important. And mm. so the way to do that is to have, have a lot of quantity around. And so the fact that you have a generation that's growing up seeing Guarani everywhere and being given the message that it's important, cool enough to be on a t-shirt, cool enough to be on a in a band cool enough to be used, you know, I don't know, for your Twitter account, your user handle is the Guarani like, that's almost as important, if not more important, than the fact that Guarani is being taught in schools. Um, I mean, obviously, they're equally important, but one really supports the other because you need the, you know, it's like growing up at home, and it doesn't matter what your parents tell you. Really, it's what your friends tell you yeah. that you care about. <laughs> so it doesn't really matter necessarily that you're learning Guarani in school. There needs to be a reason to do it outside of school. And so the fact that this generation is growing up being given a reason, mm. I think that I think that it means that Guarani will still be used. Maybe it won't be used completely. Like you're never gonna say, I'm gonna turn on my computer in Guarani. You're just gonna use the word computer because mm. that's just how it is. In the same way in Spanish we say hace click. Like click yeah. you know, I mean it's just that's just the way it is. But I th- I think of Guarani as like one of those plants that has all the little spines that just in Spanish in Guarani it's called a yucari. Okay. And it's just got these little like claws and it's just grabbing on and saying, I am going with you. Like, you know, I'm not I'm not going anywhere. I'm gonna find a way to just keep being a part of the culture and that's that's what I see and that makes me so happy and yeah, I, I, I see uh, like an interesting future for Guarani, which is the same as the 
future of Paraguay itself, where it's not isolated. It's mm. mixing with everything else, but bringing its own sense of uh, the way things are with it, you know, way of expressing itself. I couldn't have said it better myself. Special thanks for this episode go to Romy Natalia Goldberg, the author of The Other Places Travel Guide to Paraguay, Luis, Marite and Oswaldo and the whole team at Goranglish, my tutor on the ground in Asuncion, Cecilia, and the entire staff at Idipar, my online tutor who's been with me from the UK to Mexico, Costa Rica and beyond, Marcelo, a huge aguije a todos. And finally, thank you to Ashley for sticking with this crazy idea of mine for an entire season. Well, we did it! Hasta la próxima. If you don't know, Ashley's been the one filming language stories. Yes, each podcast episode has a sister video over on our YouTube channel. Just search Lindsay Does Languages on YouTube and on our channel, you'll see the playlist for language stories. Oh, and I almost forgot, but not really. Thank you to you for listening and watching this very first season of Language Stories. I hope you've had as much fun watching and listening as we've had making it. If you have enjoyed the series, reviews are the best way to support the show. Just hop on into Apple Podcasts and leave us a review to spread the word to other potential language-obsessed folk. And that is it for season one of Language Stories. We're currently hard at work filming season two as I record this, which we're planning on releasing later in 2018. But in the meantime, we do have a bonus episode, or maybe a couple, we'll see, coming up. So look out for that before then. So, for the final time this season, if you have a language story that you'd love to share, or you know someone that does, get in touch. You can email me at lindsay, that's L-I-N-D-S-A-Y, at doeslanguages.com. That's lindsay at doeslanguages.com. I always love to hear from you. Your feedback helps to shape future episodes. And that's important because without shape, they're just lumps. As always, you can follow me in all the usual places, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and all that jazz, and learn more at lindsaydoeslanguages.com. Until next time, keep learning languages and keep sharing stories. Nya'en ipona. Language is beautiful. Thank you.